We should start our podcast. That's probably true. Okay. Need to have a clear clear conscience, everyone. Palpatine? Special guest Palpatine on today's episode. <laughs> Hello there, everyone, and welcome to Tapcalf Transmissions, the only Star Wars podcast available to anyone ever. Emperor's Black Bones. That gets said a lot in this book. Uh, it also you gets said a lot my in, intro last in JO. Time, so well, I felt like... I said something that actually made sense during the intro, but you can't really throw me off here. So today we're going to be talking about Isard's Revenge, which is the second last X-Wing book. We covered kind of the main series before, and we thought this would be a good time to get back in. Isn't and, the third last? Uh, Starfighters. Oh, and... Adamar. Right. I yeah. always forget about Adamar. So we yeah. got Starfighters and Adamar left, as well as Mercy Kill. Or Mercy Kill, yeah. Mandatory Kill. I was going to say Mandatory Retirement, but that's the comic, isn't it? Mercy kill yeah. So yeah, we we still got a little bit of X wing left, but uh, we like to to sprinkle them in between mm. other things. Uh, ah, they're so fun. I love this. I I love reading these books. I I wish that they had just like went fully serialized and made like thirty of these hmm. because they're just they're so readable and they're so fun. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll actually we'll actually be talking about how fun and readable they are today. <laughs> Uh, on this podcast sponsored by product how do you feel about product this week Eck? um product's been letting me down a little bit because they never followed up with their initial emails we've been getting other emails um from people who are really impressed with the cinematic quality of our channel uh, and are looking to buy ad space yeah there was um, someone who emailed us this week who saw we had a twitter account and based on that wanted to uh make us influencers so yeah yeah i Thank, thank you, guy. Uh, but I'm Corey. Joe, and he's an angel. <laughs> I'm Corey, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Eckhart's Ladder. Eck, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Um, I finished uh, Avatar The Lost Airbender. That's true. We, I really do want to do like a topical, one of our uh, topical episodes on Avatar. Cause I feel I like think... it'd be a shame to limit it to just one. So we should do like we should basically Six. do with Avatar what uh, what Alex and Molly were doing with the Clone Wars, right? So just I mean have... that would be pretty cool. Maybe not every they do like every arc, don't they? Or do they do every? I think episode? they do every episode. They, it's a chronological rewatch of every episode, I think. So yeah, I mean it's it's great. I I, I gotta say I'll just give my brief impressions here. Um, wasn't sold until about halfway through the first season. I was like, this is basically exactly what I remembered as a kid. Hmm. Um, and then there's that episode, The Storm, where like it's kind of like the first bit of like actual drama, and it shows like Zuko's upbringing and why Aang was frozen in ice. That was like the first really, really good episode for me. And then, yeah, just uphill from there. Yeah. I think season two might actually even be my favorite, though. I think season two is... is, uh, is I liked it a little bit better than season three, I think. Yeah, but I season really three it. has Ember Island Players, which is the best episode of any show ever. So <laughs> Yeah, that episode was awesome. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. maybe we'll do that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so next week we're going to be talking about the last volume of The Clone Wars from 2003. Mm-hmm. I guess that volume is from like 2004, 2005. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, so the second that's kind of what's coming up. season, right? No, we watched the first, first and second uh, season. It's just oh yeah, the, it's third the, it's just the third season. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but today, I saw Revenge. So you've yeah. you've already said you thought it was readable, which is great for a book, uh, and fun. Yeah. 
readable has got to be like one of those if people were making a uh tick or like like a board of shit that i say most episodes slice of readable life readable be there. slice of life um, uh so as much as we make fun of uh sardonically we're we're just <laughs> as bad but we also yeah. don't go through an editing process so you know i don't even self-edit so yeah but, so I, it's it's caused a lot of issues on twitter for me but did you see what they what Twitter tweeted today? It was pretty funny. They were the like, Twitter tweeted? People, yeah, like the the official Twitter account said, y'all can have an edit button when people start wearing masks, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. But, um, but yeah, I I sat down like I always do with these X Wing books and just kind of get lost for you know the few hours it takes to read them. Yeah, uh, super fun. Like I already said. I don't really know. I don't really know what else to say. Like this, like this one was maybe a little goofier than some of the other ones yeah. because of the. They very much should have just completely removed the whole clone thing. So the basic premise is that not only is Isard back, we, we actually learned that later, but like Isard had a clone, um, and she's back as well. So there's two Isards yeah. running around, and they should have totally. And I say should, should they? I mean Michael Stackpole. Really should have just kept it to one Isard, and then if you really need another player, have it be like Isard's assistant or something. Yeah. It's like, if you want to make it that Isard's back because of a clone, great. If you want to make it that Isard survived, great. If you want to make it that mm -hmm. Isard never died and also her clone is still <laughs> is here, then it's like, okay, you, you kind of pick too many, uh, too many of the options. But uh, it'd be like yeah. if Dark Empire was about how Palpatine was using his clone bodies. But also, he's just still there from, from the shaft. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like if they somehow mixed like canon and legend, so there's like creepy chair Palpatine and creepy hanging dong Palpatine. <laughs> but, so this uh, this brings up the total of uh, Imperial leaders who clone themselves pretty high. Like there's a high percentage of the yeah. the ones like Dala never died, so it didn't matter. Pelin was old; he didn't really <laughs> seem to care. But like Pestage, uh, wasn't there a clone of Pestage somewhere too? Mm -hmm. So there's yeah, Pestage, so. there's Isard, there's Palpatine, Thrawn, there's Thrawn. Yeah. But it, it kind of makes sense because like I'd clone myself. But yeah, now like at this point, why not? Because the like the clone in this is fairly competent. Um, mm -hmm. So like, why wouldn't you make a clone? Um, yeah. And I remember we were wondering because when we read the Back to War, we weren't sure because we knew Isard came back, but we couldn't remember if it was her clone that was killed or if she, it was if it was her clone. Uh, that came back and the answer is kind of like a little bit of a, a little bit of b <laughs> yeah i don't think it was really necessary to have both of them i guess it's kind of like for the reveal halfway through the book that she's not actually dead because you get mm -hmm. the reveal that she's not dead actually it's a clone and then you get the real reveal later that she's also not dead which mm -hmm. i mean you probably didn't need that but there is one unforgivable crime that this book commits multiple times this there's, so in a lot of ways, this is kind of a greatest hits of Rogue Squadron because there's a mm -hmm. lot of the tropes that kind of come through in the previous X-Wing books, and uh, which I don't have a problem with. It was like, I feel like if we had read this right after uh, the last of the X-Wing books mm -hmm. like that we'd done already. Wait, Squadron I, 3, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I would have been probably harder on this book just because it mm -hmm. does kind of repeat some of those things like oh wedge is back in his same disguise and look look who else is here and yeah min is there and yeah like all of the they mix kind of like the best 
Well, is it is Min the only Wraith that's on the team? Uh, I think he is. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, we actually. Yeah, like, I'm I'm guy. glad that we did find out in this book what color Isard's eyes were, a couple times because yeah, I've been wondering. Yeah, it never came up. It it just never came up in the previous book. So you're sitting there thinking like, okay, it, great, she's this cold, calculating killer, but. If only I knew what color her eyes were to go along with this. Do her eyes reflect her glacial fury that, like, waits and is ready to strike with cold efficiency? <laughs> or is it her fiery rage burning inside of her? Which element from within do her eyes represent? And we finally found out in the last book she'll ever be in. That's why we're watching I Sard Batar, The Last Airbender, as our next episode. <laughs> but... For real... <laughs> People are going to be, there's like definitely, oh man, I just knocked my coffee over. Um, people are probably a little bit sad now because we've made that joke every single book she's been in. And we will find, we will find a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but the crime, the crime that I'm building up to here, oh, yeah, and sorry. I don't want to interrupt you, but this is, this is crucial. This is critical. The tide of data washed away the time. How did you know the tide was still rising? Uh, no, that one's... That's a regular note. There's more. There's a what holds we need to trace to plug so it does not sink without a trace? Ocean of evil. No real way to know if we found all the currents running deep there. There's one about algae and farming. Uh, yeah. This one is like... Because there's even a bit of meta commentary from Iella, um, yeah, about like how they've been hanging out with Akbar for too long because they start bringing up the uh, the ocean terminology, which it's it's funny. It, it you're right, it is like a greatest hits of, of from the depths it. always comes amazement. <laughs> like but that one's not even good. <laughs> you no, know, he's just like every time he's on on the page. I was reading this at Dana's place at first. And the first time it came up, I was like, oh, my God. She's like, what, what's happening? And then I showed her. And then a page later, there's another one. It's, yeah, it's they, too much. They too do much. knock a couple out, like, in the like in the, the first time he gets a, a, a tie. So for those who don't know, in the X-Wing, because we, we shouldn't just assume that people are privy to our stupid fucking jokes. Um, <laughs> this is a joke. I'm legitimately angry about this. So there are a few things that are really common in uh, Michael Stackpole's X-Wing novels. Uh, one is horniness, which wasn't really in this one. But um, the other is Corellians and Odds, which we don't really get too many references to in this book. We get kind of a joke from one of the droids, Gate, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other is Akbar making ocean um, like analogies, I guess. Yeah, it's like his Similar, one maybe? thing. It's all he has. <laughs> is he can yeah. make ocean metaphors and analogies and whatever. And he he does it every time he's in a conversation in this yeah. book. Like people are so tired of his shit. Like yeah. you're already in his dank ass office. He's got like Charlie's fans blowing water everywhere. Like you're just sweating and dying and he's just like just doesn't stop. Yeah, you can so, see like, him coming from a nautical mile away. <laughs> But yeah, this this is definitely the least horny of the uh, mm -hmm. of the Corins we get, which oh, so yeah. good for him. But this is also so this came out a year after uh, I Jedi came out, yeah. which is 
uh, kind of a retelling of some Star Wars events from Cornhorn's perspective, the main character. Mm. And so there, there's some allusions to that in there. Like Mirak says, oh, if I ever go missing, uh, yeah. or that's two times you've been assumed dead, Corrin. So next time it's my turn. And just a, a couple fun references to that that I like. But. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, in the, we do get some kind of, because Corrin at this point is still kind of trying to figure out whether he wants to be a Jedi. Well, he's not even trying to figure out whether he wants to be a Jedi. He's pretty much decided that he doesn't want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like a ton of times where he's like, oh, I wish I had my Jedi lightsaber skills right now or like i wish i had learned to be a jedi so i could understand what yeah. um sexy isard saying dressed in her workout gear um <laughs> yeah she does uh she does comment on how corn has flat abs and mirex must like them if yeah. he has them that was like come on this is this is so unnecessary and she's dressed exactly like she's like a comic book villain basically she's wearing her same outfit but it's just the gym version because she's wearing like her red <laughs> her red admiral's uniform it's just bandex you know <laughs> yeah no one no one's ever allowed to change clothes in any sort of fictional media except for on the weekenders which is why the weekenders is one of the best shows <laughs> they always had different yeah. outfits and i could appreciate that. everybody's da, da, da. i forget how the how the it's not everybody's working for the weekend <laughs> no I, I think that's where how you were going with that go? no 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 i'm trying to remember how the theme song went hold on weekenders Best friends can do no wrong. Uh, yeah, exactly. Pizza run. It's time yeah. for all of us to work it on out. Hey, that's what the weekend's all about. Best friends can do no wrong. Just two days. We need more video games. I'll beat your score. Watch cartoons on TV. Drink that frosty choke of freeze. That's what we like to do. Come on, y'all. I'm talking to you. Is that a Canadian show or is that something we just imported from the States? I think they were from California or something, so it would have to be... Yeah, they totally were, but no American. Okay, so maybe this time someone will actually know what we're talking about instead of a 30-minute digression on Adam <laughs> Grow and Red Green. <laughs> <laughs> so should we actually set up, like, the uh, like the situation of this book, like, what's no. going on? No? We never did. No, yeah, we should. All right, so I actually love the way this book opens up. Mm-hmm. Um we basically get another perspective on the Battle of Bilbringi, which is the ultimate battle in the Thrawn trilogy where Thrawn is killed. We get to see it because Wedge is in that book, but we get to see it now um, yeah. from all of Rogue Squadron's perspective because obviously when um, that book came out, Wedge was a character, but Korn and the others weren't. Um, so we get to see them do the run on the Golan platform, um, which is a pretty... Well, I would say it's pivotal, pivotal in the battle, but... Thrawn's getting killed anyway, so like mm-hmm. the New Republic could have pretty much done anything as long as they didn't die. Um, and then it's kind of fun because we get to see how they react to uh, the news that Thrawn's dead, and they see the fleet breaking up and leaving. We actually learn a bit more about the tactics Thrawn's use at Thrawn uses at the battle, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. We get some New Republic assault frigates, which I always like. Yeah, we we do get a little bit after that of people throughout the book kind of being unsure if Thrawn's dead because they they're just too scared of him, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of builds into how the Hand of Thrawn duology kind of plays out. But then we also have Isard here coming back and kind of letting everyone know, hey, even if you think you killed some of us, we sometimes aren't dead or have clones. So mm-hmm. uh, 
wait a few she, months she and Palpatine will come clone? out. Because she knew about the Empire of the Hand, right? Uh, she knew Thrawn was out there doing something. She didn't necessarily know about the Empire of the Hand. I doubt she would know about mm-hmm. uh, about Thrawn's clone. Because like, she sent him soon to her to keep him away. Yeah. To keep Thrawn from coming back and just kicking her out and taking over. But mm-hmm. uh, I think she was still kind of under the impression that he was out there on some general mm-hmm. uh, Imperial scouting mission kind of thing. And this book actually came out after uh, the Thrawn duology as well. So, like, we do get a reference to um, the Bothan kind of, like, how there's, you know, a big Bothan secret that if people discover it could be big shit. Um, I can't remember if there are any other references to the Thrawn duology. Did you pick up on any? No, that one was kind of the major one that I saw. I didn't notice anything else. Mm Mm-hmm. It was mostly just iJedi references that I kind of picked up on. Yeah. And nothing about any kind of lead up to Dark Empire, which there was a question about, uh, mm-hmm. other than Wedge getting his promotion, which kind of had to happen now. That's exactly what I had. Yeah, this book does a good job of kind of, because I was trying to remember whether it was Dark Empire or the Jedi Academy trilogy, which had him as general. But yeah, it's Dark Empire, isn't it? I think so, because I think like him and Lando and Han all get referred to as generals by that yeah. point. Uh, yeah. so they kind of have to deal with, no, well, I don't think anyone ever deals with Han and Lando getting recommissioned properly, mm-hmm. but, uh, Wedge, at least we get his, uh, his story here because that's been kind of, uh, a running theme in the X-Wing books is that Wedge doesn't want to be promoted out of his squadron. Mm-hmm. He thinks the squadron is where he's most comfortable and where he can make the most difference. But Akbar has been, uh kind of pushing for him to get a promotion and they had their bet with Wraith Squadron where Wedge was saying, oh, I can make this extra uh, asset for the New Republic and if it fails, I'll go and be a general, but it succeeded, so he didn't have to, but then Mm -hmm. Akbar kind of uh, convinces him that it's necessary. Yeah, yeah, because he's like holding his entire squadron back. Yeah. Um, He He goes under his head to the squadron pilots is like, yeah, none of these people are going to take a take a promotion unless you do. Yeah, and I, I like that. I thought it was a good... Like, I, I feel like this book did do a good job of... Because it came out, you know, long after the Thrawn trilogy. It came out after the other X-Wing books. I felt like it just generally did a good job of kind of tying things together. Like, it pulled from lots of sources. Like, mm-hmm. I liked how the Nogri show up at the end. Um, obviously, talent. The second that um, Whistler left to go meet a contact i was like that's thousand percent either going to be talent card or, or mara jade <laughs> yeah uh i really like those chapters i think it's just two that mm-hmm. we get with whistler and gate but the yeah the droid adventures are always fun mm-hmm. i will say too one thing i like about this book too that i honestly couldn't even fully appreciate was it seemed to have a lot of tie into the rogue squadron comics which i've only partially read and I, I read those as a kid because my dad just bought them for me um and like he didn't know anything about them i didn't know anything about them um but i actually i was like trying to remember the other day um there's a there's a, a shot where or a comic where i think general psalm disables soon fell um in like in his y-wing he disables fell and i just remember that from uh that image just like burned into my mind for some reason just because it was like a mm. star wars thing i didn't understand um so 
Yeah, it's cool that it makes all those references. Like, it talks about the other battles they've had, like at Surtic. Um, and yeah, those are those are comic battles, but and there's that character that died, and they were talking about that again, all comic mm -hmm. stuff. I thought that was really cool, even if I didn't fully uh, appreciate it, I guess. Yeah, and that's probably something that we'll be covering uh, in the future as well as the Rogue Squadron comics. So, there's a lot of them, though, I think. Yeah, well, we probably won't cover all of them. Uh, mm -hmm. Unless the podcast goes for about thirty years, but <laughs> yeah, the comics are always quick to read. Like that's true. So even if we did like thirty in an episode, we'd probably be yeah. able to do it. Just like with Dark Empire, it took maybe an hour to read each one of the books three times for the podcast. So maybe for one of the intermediate topical episodes. Speaking of comics, just a little off track. And um, generals, I was reading Crimson Empire three a while ago. Uh, which takes place it's it's not that bad i don't mind crimson empire 3 i like it better than 2 um and one one i i quite like um but it's got nx Devian in it right and uh and i didn't realize this but they have han still as a general with like in command of a uh on calamari like a like a new republic fleet um hmm. just pretty cool even though it's like 13 or 14 aby so i guess he I guess he keeps his commission for a while after Dark Empire. Or he just comes and goes. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Lusanki is also in it. Like, And I didn't realize that Lusanki saw that much action in the book. So there's a few. If you're ever doing a lore video on the Lusanki, there's a few more images in there for you. Wow. Which is quite relevant. Well, this... yeah, because Isard wants it back. Mm -hmm. so uh, that's kind of what she's going for and it kind of makes all her stuff with Rogue Squadron just seem kind of pointless but uh, <laughs> yeah she should have killed Rogue Squadron like 100% yeah there, there's I there's no real point like I got kind of confused about the chapters that she was in with Wedge and with uh, Colonel uh, Vosick I forget his mm -hmm. name I didn't write it down but uh, but yeah so I I feel like that could have been better. And again, this is the whole problem of having the two Isards. Like, you've got to make a motivations for both of them. Like, they've got to be acting differently. And like the real Isard, especially, I just found to be kind of boring. Like, they mm -hmm. really should have just kept kept her to working with, um, like with the Empire, because it's just she's not convincing as a neutral party. And like, yeah. you know, she's gonna screw them over, and it's just it's like, well, I don't know. Yeah, and like. Isard's clone, if or whichever one stays around, you could convincingly make them be working with Krennel to cause this distraction while yes. she goes to Bobringi and gets Lusankia back. Yeah. But instead, you kind of split that. And all you really, like, all I was kind of waiting for with that was that there'd be, like, some kind of bigger reckoning between the two. Mm -hmm. But Isard oh, Prime knows there's a, there's a clone, obviously. But mm. Isard clone gets told like three seconds before she dies that she's a clone. And there, there's not really a, a, a point to it. Mm -hmm. Like Corin just gets to rub that in her face a little, I guess. But mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, it's just, it's just muddies the water. And I, like clones are already a little too prevalent in Legends. So like to have Isard be clones, just like, yeah, whatever. Um, I do like that. I do like that they pick back up on the trail of hunting the Lusankia, uh, the Lusankia survivors, though, because they're still hmm. captured. Uh, Yondodon and the others are still in Imperial hands. 
Um, like, I thought it, it would have been interesting if, like, Isard wasn't really alive, but it was just, like, kind of her specter, or, like, like she still... Yeah, exactly. She still has influence over everybody. Yeah. Like, or what if they'd done it this way? So there's two clones. Instead of Isard Prime and Isard Clone, one clone has fiery red eyes... One clone has icy blue eyes, and that's oh kind of your God. only hint that they're different people for the whole time. <laughs> Everyone else thinks they're the same. They don't even necessarily know about each other, but it's like uh, it's like the twin twists on Big Brother when they do that. <laughs> and uh, Krennel gets a pr- an extra prize if he can figure it out before the end of the twin book. Twin twists. <laughs> that's funny. So, I mean, what happened to Isard in Back to War is still kind of confusing, so... There was nobody in the shuttle, I guess. There was a, and, I think it was a pilot in the shuttle, and she was yeah. like, either a pilot, or it might even have been droid control, I forget. Uh, but she was that like was, piping yeah. in her communications, which were then getting that was real. I started doing that, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So how did clone I started get injured? Because she has like an injury um, that Prennel talks about when they first see her. I forget. I think that was addressed, but I don't think it registered like, with me. This is the whole problem. Like, it's just too confusing. You know? Yeah. It, it's not even just that it's confusing. It's that it's confusing and kind of pointless. Mm-hmm. Like, totally. there, there's no reason for this other than uh, Isard being in charge. So Isard, the clone, is working with Dalek Krennel, who's a, who's a little kind of minor warlord that the New Republic decides they can go after kind of safely and mm-hmm. to just show that they're still... Uh, they're still active in the galaxy and that the war the Imperials have nowhere to hide. Uh, and they're kind of using the fact that uh, Krennel murdered one of the former Imperial leaders, Sate Pestage, uh, as the as their justification for doing this. But Isard is now working with Krennel, saying she's going to handle the political side of things, uh, whereas Krennel can handle the military side of things. But the... Uh, like, Isard's plans kind of work in getting the new republic mm-hmm. to go after the targets they want or mm-hmm. uh getting more support rallied to them but it's i don't know it's yeah then yeah. like she so real isard was also within the hegemony i guess mm-hmm. following fake isard and fake isard was just made to, so that isard could handle the uh the prisoners of the lusankia herself yeah and by herself, she meant a clone of herself, who she didn't yeah. tell about herself. That mm-hmm. I'm sure would have gotten awkward for them at some point. But again, we never find out because they were, uh, they were just already, yeah. They're like completely separated. So yeah, it, it's 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 convoluted. But basically, there's there's two ISRs working. You learn about the second one midway through. Goddamn Thrawn can't even get one clone off, and she she's got one running around, and she's still alive. Kind of BS. So yeah, <laughs> see if Thrawn had just let more of his clones out when he'd uh... yeah, and there's there's actually some hints in like NJO and later that there might actually be a Thrawn clone or two that exists mm-hmm. in the unknown regions, yeah. But uh, that's that's a topic for for another couple books, but uh, but yeah, like the the real Isard is kind of screwing with the fake Isard and trying to plant more stuff the New Republic can get because uh, the way she kind of lures in Rogue Squadron is by uh and the fake isard really wants to kill rogue squadron but mm-hmm. the real isard 
plants a lab that is allegedly working on a Death Star, like a mini Death Star, which gets yeah. referred to as like Pulsar a Station. Ship killer, kind of. Yeah, it's like Death Star 2, but focusing more on shooting ships with the super laser. Yeah. And uh, so this gets used by the New Republic as further justification for invading the Cutric hegemony, which mm-hmm. Krennel says, actually, no, this isn't me. And makes up this thing about how uh, he was good friends with someone from Alderaan and he would never want to do this. Uh, And yeah. So I started real or I started prime is trying to frame Krennel and I started clone, but it's. And and then like, there's no reason for rogue squadron to work with her after they find out that she basically got them all. uh, Got four of them killed as far as they know to Mm -hmm. lure them in to work with her on a raid to get this weapon that doesn't exist. So the, I I don't see why Wedge would agree to cooperate with her at first. The New Republic had better plans to deal with Krennel in the first place. They didn't need Isard's help for any of this. It didn't really amount like to that much. Yeah, yeah, it's. I, I it's, feel like he he was, was going to be killed if. Uh, yeah, but they try to set it up as if like they they have this uneasy alliance towards the same goal. It's like mm-hmm. no, Ed, you're not even really being allies. You are at best being coerced. And you're not really like they're acting like they're all buddies. I I don't know. Yeah, I did like some of the uh, not really camaraderie, but the back and forth between the Imperials and uh, and the Rogues. There was kind mm-hmm. of like a bit of respect there. Although I do like how uh, I think it's Wedge in the the training sim just fucking wrecks every. Or no, it's Corin. Corin. He like he, he takes out like three of the Tie defenders with, mm-hmm. with like no effort. Um. I really like the dinner scene with Wedge in his uh, Colonel <laughs> yeah. Rote disguise. Yeah. Um, that was really funny. It was just like, basically, he's talking to this uh, Imperial who I guess was actually part of the 181st, um, which is like the elite, one of the elite fighter wings within the Empire. And he's like drastically overstating their effectiveness against Rogue Squadron. And then he's like, you might not know this, but... People like Wedge and Tycho, they're killed all the time and just replaced by clones. Of course, it's because that's what the Empire does. (laughs) Yeah. Wedge is sitting there like, that's fascinating. (laughs) So I I didn't check this properly, but I think uh, he was talking about a mission when the 181st was still the 180 worst after Suntir was just sent there, but before he reworked Uh, it. So he's kind of proud of being part of them. when they were just a shit unit where the worst people right. got sent. But I, I, I'm i not 100% sure on the timeline on that. That is what That's I think. Because I think that battle that they're talking about is kind of the one where Suntir started to turn it around. Mm-hmm. But it's been a while since I've read those. I think that's uh, from the comics as well. Because I did a video about Suntir a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and uh, focused a lot on that. It's but, kind of weird how frequently Suntir is brought up in the books, but how little he actually appears. Hmm. <laughs> Because like he's brought up in almost every book that Wedge is in, but he doesn't really feature very much. Yeah, it's not until um, like much later with uh, I guess even in NJO and Dark well, Nest he's, he's mentioned, but he's not. Because, yeah. yeah, he's in some of the early NJO stuff, isn't he? When I think... no Jag is, but isn't he? Isn't he still in the? Isn't Suntir in the Chist Ascendancy still? He's there's a few. Uh, he's in the Hand of Thrawn duology. When mm-hmm. Luke and Mara are in the Empire of the Hand, but I was thinking the... there was like a scene where like, isn't there a scene on like the Chiss Capital where, um, 
he sees Soontir or where he sees uh, Jag off or something. Like, <laughs> like, like when Jag when Jag leaves, like when they activate, like, like Jag and the rest of the his squadron. I can't remember what it's called at the time, but it, doesn't Soontir have like a meeting with him? That's not in the actual NJO books. It might be in like a comic or something. Okay, but it's not in the NJO books. Mm-hmm. There's a scene later. Uh, I think it might be Legacy of the Force even where like Luke is on Chilla and mm-hmm. Soontir's there but yeah. that's much later because there's that picture of uh, of Soontir and Luke and right. whomever on Chilla but yeah interesting the summit so there's a big portion of this book we haven't talked about or we haven't spoke about yet um, and that's like the, the it's very heavy handed in a way kind of commentary on like affirmative action and racism and stuff like that um especially or it's like it's kind of it's a real thing early on in the book because like like the the, this like imperial warlord basically is holding up his it he's not like plainly racist he's like you know every species and being can come to our part of the galaxy but we're going to treat them equal basically suggesting that since the new republic took power that uh humans are losing their dominance and they're giving it yeah. up to aliens um it, yeah it's kind of like saying that oh well the aliens can have their places but this this is the place for humans you can come here if you're an alien but yeah. this is a human place. we're going to treat you equally maybe yeah we're going to treat but, you equally but just so you know equally means that humans are a lot more epic yeah um so i don't know i took that to be like uh like as a criticism of like those who deny affirmative action and stuff like that Mm. um kind of like because the only reason why aliens are so screwed in the galaxy is because they've been under the rule of palpatine for uh 18 or 25 years or however long and he's just been you know completely human like human centric um yeah they kind of hint at the uh the reason that like Bothan politics is what it is is because it was kind of necessary under the empire for them to survive uh, mm-hmm. rather than being something that goes back like super far. But uh, what did you, so should we wait until later to talk about a Seer's plan? Cause I think it's kind of dumb. I think we, we can talk about it now because when I was reading this, I was expecting this to be like a much more important plot thread throughout the book. Um, so basically a Seer and Gavin, who I think is here is first introduced in Wedge's Gamble because isn't she on Coruscant? Uh, isn't she like part of that? Like, she because they almost kill Gavin because they yeah, think he's like yeah, a yeah, racist. Yeah. She was um, uh, leading some of those people that were like hiding from the uh, yeah, and then yeah, she's actually Empire. also a Bothan, uh, like she's like a Bothan special forces person, isn't she? Yeah, she'd, she'd at least gone to the Bothan Martial mm-hmm. Academy, uh, and then she got pulled into Rogue Squadron. Uh, because her they needed Gavin, a body, really. Yeah. There was a few people that they pulled from mm-hmm. uh, from that kind of camp that got attacked by the Empire. And that's they how they... them uh, in the... Uh, in the I, think, I think she probably flies, flies a Z-95 during that final battle, but I can't remember. Mm. But so, yeah, then she ends up joining Rogue Squadron and yeah. falls in love with... Uh, falls in love with Gavin, of course. So they're dating for a while, and it turns into a thing where, like, Borsphalia is saying that it's actually... It's sending the wrong message to the Bothans that mm-hmm. uh, you, as the most famous Bothan, 
why don't you just eat all the other boffins? Uh, <laughs> no, no, but like you can, you could be with anyone in our society that you want, and you're just feeding into the human stereotypes by saying His you, logic you so pick. fucking dumb. Yeah, like even for Boris Kvelia, he's basically like, if you date a human, you're basically saying that your uh, fellow aliens aren't good enough. But like, isn't that also saying that you're good enough for a human? Like. <laughs> It's just like the logic makes no sense, and he he sees like her dating a human as like the downfall of the both and race. Like mm -hmm. he puts a lot of pressure on her because um, her and Gavin want to adopt a child, and he's like, "Listen, it's just not going to happen. Like I'll block any adoption of a both and child, um, and they'll make your life miserable, or you can break up with Gavin." So he's putting as much mm -hmm. like pressure as he can on her. I, I didn't really understand it. Like I didn't think. I think this no, like, sort of reflects a thing that somewhat exists in real life that we're probably not the right people to talk about, mm -hmm, and I don't true. think Michael Stackpole was the right person to write about either. Mm -hmm. But uh, as far as like a seer's plans go, is that there's the raid at uh, Corson, is it? Corvus Minor, not Corson, different planet. Mm -hmm. uh, Corvus Minor, where uh, that's where the rogues are trying to find the information about Pulsar Station. Yeah. And the so a, a third of the squadron is presumed killed in action. So uh, West Jansen, Asir, uh, Slee, and Lur. I think Lur. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Slee and Lur were the two that were introduced in this book, which makes them almost gain. The fact that they didn't get any <laughs> lines makes it almost guaranteed that they were going to die, yeah. except for the one chapter in the bar where Slee kind of explains uh, why Gavin's weird for adopting i guess oh yeah i forgot about but that. uh but yeah so asir and jansen aren't actually dead they get recovered by booster who was brought there with iella and mirax so they think that everyone else in the squadron's dead uh the squadron thinks that jansen and asir are dead really it's mm -hmm. just the two people that none of them cared about that were dead so huge relief for everyone and <laughs> uh asir's plan at this point because she's presumed dead to make changes in both society is that she's going to let everyone keep thinking they're dead, give up, like, let Gavin go the rest of his life thinking she's yeah. dead, and she's going to start a new identity playing by the, the less savory peasant, most likely. Yeah. Somehow, she, as a peasant, like, change Bothan society. Yeah, she's going to work her way back up from the bottom of Bothan society to reset it by their tactics. And it's like, no, but mm. you're, you're currently in a position as one of the most respected people in the New Republic, to that challenge failure. Yeah, yeah and you're just taking away any opposition he has. And if you do become powerful again somehow, Boris Kvelia is going to know who you are. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you're not going to have any of the clout with the rest of the Boston society or the rest mm -hmm. of uh, the, New, like, or the you... New Republic generally because she's a war hero. She's part of Rogue Squadron. So it's like. Yeah. Like, she could have leveraged that in some way, but instead she's trying to do something that she could have probably done with the influence she gained. Mm -hmm. And just kind <clears> of <throat> resetting. Like, I would have understood it more if it was, I'm leaving Rogue Squadron after this happened to me because I was putting myself and my squad mates in danger with how ham I was going. Because she was, mm -hmm. like, shredding Imperials. But, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, she was kind of just going at it, and everyone else was both Universal worried and blown away. pretty cool. Yeah. Like, she, like, basically, like... And that, so they get ambushed, and it's like, I think it's 36 ships against, uh, is it 12? No, it's, it's only against four, I think, because it's just one flight. Yeah. 
Um, and the rogues kill, or that one flight kill over a half, and she basically kills six on her own and goes out killing two more, and it's mm-hmm. really cool. Um, but did you find it kind of weird? Like, to me, it felt like they totally just dropped that plot line. Like, like they focused a lot on the racism stuff and the like the, the whole both and society stuff early on, especially with, like, how that, like the hegemony is like going for that sort of like humanocentric position. But I, I don't feel like they paid that off um, throughout the rest of the book. I felt like it was set up, but then it was kind of dropped. Yeah. It, I think it was intended to be set up for like a future thing, but I don't know that a seer ever shows up anywhere else in the future. Is she in mercy kill? Maybe. Uh, no, so. she's mentioned in dark tide onslaught mm-hmm. and that's, that's it. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's yeah. a lot of stuff later with like the Bothans joining the Confederacy. So, oh yeah. I that might have been a good place for her to come up again or something. But even in like uh even in the Thrawn duology where like, you know, Both- the Bothwees like a major part of that whole story yeah. because they're basically it's like a powder keg over Bothwee. Um because people believe Bothans have been up to some shit, and in fact they have. Um, but yeah, the Bothans are just awful. Like they're just terrible. Hmm. Except for Asir, Trace Crafay, and uh, Laren Crafay is awful. I thought there was. I think there's another Bothan who I can never remember if he's awful or not. One of the admirals from later on, like Legacy of the Force. Hmm. But uh, but Trace Trace a real one. Asir's a real one. Hmm. Borsk is a piece of shit. So yeah. it's not just Bothans are awful. It's basically just Borsk is the is awful. Well, I mean, Bothan society like encourages people like Borsk as well. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of awful, um, Mirax after. So they go to that big party, right? And that guy basically bends it, breaks his back and kills himself. Um, Mirax says to Corin, like, you look worse than when you came home from the Lusankia. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Mirax, like, isn't that a little soon? Yeah. Like, he just saw someone die, like, who was on the Lusankia and died because of their programming. Like, what are you doing? And I don't know. I just, like, Mirax, like, you're yeah. usually smarter than this. <laughs> I don't know if it was just a way for Michael Stackpole to be like, this is why he did it, to kind of feel like he was part of that again and go back to that shitty low point in his life. Yeah, but it yeah, I, I don't think Mirax would actually do that. It wasn't uh, it was kind of a weirdly written thing. So I do like how like the guys described as like breaking his back and bleeding out of his eyes. Yeah, that <laughs> was... goes and goes to check his pulse. <laughs> like, imagine you get your, like it's just like a guy gets his head blown off and like, performing like chest compressions. I, there is a movie where like the head gets blown off of someone and they check the pulse. Or no, I think it's like actual instructions on uh, figuring out if someone's dead or that. I think, no, it's a joke about a guy, a doctor in court uh, being asked how he knew someone was dead. And they go through a bunch of like medical signs that his head was over there. But... <laughs> his head was in a different room than the rest of his body. <laughs> Usually not a good start. Um, I will say, though, on the whole... This book really kind of made me think we don't really see a whole lot of like mixed species families in Star Wars. No, like we do see some, but it would be cool to see because like when they talked about 
adopting an Athorian or like whatever else. I was like, man, that's not even like ever occurred to me that that's something that people in Star Wars could and probably would do. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we get something like that in canon because I thought it was a cool idea for them to adopt uh, adopt some kids. I, like I, I didn't know what happened to her after this book. So mm-hmm. yeah. And like we... We do find out in other parts of Legends that they're actually just wrong. Humans and Bothans can have babies. Uh, there's that Jedi Knight in the... Oh, yeah. Uh, the Sith Wars, New Sith Wars, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, I actually... I did a video on uh, species My being compatible. Ever made. It's like, what was the title again? Uh, something about hybrid breeding or something. No, the title babies. was funnier than that. Hold on. Corey's data pad. It, it was pretty good. Breeding. <laughs> Don't look for that. <laughs> it's not coming up. Oh, <laughs> and the ability for babies. Interspecies relationship. Okay, and the ability for babies. <laughs> That's the second part. That was really funny. <laughs> you should have just called it interspecies relationship and can Babby be formed? That was kind of what I was going for, but yeah. I felt like the ability for babies, the kind of bouncy yeah, syllables ability there. Ability for babies. <laughs> Fuck, that made me laugh. That was a, that was a good video. But uh, yeah, I, that's something that I always get comments on because I have uh, a big part of that is about Cuts kids in the Clone mm-hmm. Wars. Uh, and, and they're adopted, right? Yeah, there's always yeah. comments saying, that's actually not Cuts kids. But nowhere in the video did I say they were yeah. biologically Cuts kids. Their father was also just a human, and he married right. into the family. Or he kind of, not. I don't think they were married, but whatever the local equivalent of marriage was. But uh, but yeah, they were, they were half human, half Twi'lek. Twilight. right? Yeah. So Wasn't their biological really father too? was... What? Wasn't she really sexy, too? She was a cartoon Twi'lek, Eck. What do you want from me? Saying. Just saying. This guy. <laughs> um she was no turtle river runner yeah that's true um we'd have to get corin's a special guest on the podcast to rank more characters yeah <laughs> i think he'd agree um what if Asir and gavin were just like doing anal the whole time and <laughs> yeah i was gonna make that joke but i wanted to i was trying to think of a funnier way to put it but oh yeah. I was trying to think of a cleaner way to put it, but there's no. It's it's possible because it's just like he just doesn't know. <laughs> you just get a scene of like Mirax, Yella, and it's here like he just. I don't. It's been so many times. I don't know if I should correct him if it's just gonna be embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that's something that Corin could have given like really good advice on, probably. Mm. Um. <laughs> And it's funny because right after Asir is presumed dead, Corrin brings up that conversation where they talked about his Salonian love life. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking um, that, like, yeah. Okay, that was another thing. There was the scene right after Asir died where Corrin is trying to cheer up Gavin almost. And Corrin is just the absolute worst friend when it comes to people grieving. It's like, yeah, I know. Your romantic partner just died. 
and Corn's like, have I ever told you about the the way that my parents died? You know how my dad died, because I talk about it all the time. <laughs> but I also was somewhat fond of my mother, and she got hit by a truck. Was that the was that the first time that um they had mentioned his mother's death? Uh no, I it sounded familiar when I was reading it in this. So I, I think it was mentioned like the cause of death had been mentioned before. This is more in depth than we ever got. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know if if you've when you lose someone, you first off you want some time to just kind of decompress mm-hmm. on your on your own. No mm-hmm. one does or should expect you to immediately be like, okay. But the way Corin always handles these situations is going in and saying like, yes, I was sad too once. <laughs> but like no one gives a fuck this is yeah it's like gavin's trying to get away from him after yeah the, after seer dies and corn's just like older so it's like higher rank it's kind of awkward <laughs> yeah and like it corn is not a, someone who deals well with this stuff he hasn't mm-hmm. shut up about it in every opportunity he gets for years and years to just bring up the fact that his yeah not his mom also, his, who cares uh, about his mom but yeah, his dad, I, at least. I'm not trying to be like, like disrespectful to anyone who's lost a parent, but you're expected to have your parents die eventually. Yeah. But like, I think it's different to lose. You know, like not saying it's like the pain's not comparable, but he just lost somebody who's planning his entire life with. So he's basically yeah. lost his entire future. He's lost his babies that he was going to adopt. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, it's. Pretty messed up. Pretty messed up. Yeah, it, it's not... Yeah, I, I just can't imagine what kind of headspace you have to be in to see someone grieving and be like, you know what I should do? Mm-hmm. I should make this about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On a different note, this, uh, this book continues the X-Wing um, kind of standard of minimalism in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. It's like, at any given point, the Rebels or the New Republic have like three ships they can spare yeah and like, they all happen to be at every engagement because like Saryanka was mm-hmm. at bill bringy mm-hmm. uh and there's the, there's like 12 people in the room for i don't know how they were chosen uh to be in that conference room with wedge because some were like captains some were admirals some were generals mm-hmm. but they were all in on this and i i don't know it was I, was Yonka deployed to Qtrick? Because otherwise, then maybe it was just the people who went to Qtrick, but I don't think... I think so. Was he? I okay, I, I must have not. missed that. I, I but, could be mistaken. Because that would make more sense, but I I might have just missed something yeah, there. Yeah, because they kind of did set that up early on, right? Yeah. yeah. And they kind of used some of the ship tactics for talking about how Wedge didn't think he was suitable for this, because there's one of the battles, I think it was the Linad battle, where... Uh, Direption, which is one of Crandall's Star Destroyers, was kind of allowing... I forget which way it went, but I think Direption was allowing Moonshadow to do whatever it wanted so that it could fire on a Redabel ship. Mm. And Wedge was like, I don't understand why you would open yourself up to basically this full onslaught from Moonshadow just to get at... Uh, just to get a Redabel ship. And... Uh, how he wouldn't be good at making those decisions. He'd always want to try to minimize casualties. And that's one of the things 
that or minimize damage even and that's one of the things mm-hmm. that comes up a lot in the book is like acceptable losses which i right. guess when he becomes a general is the first time he's ever had to think about that yeah. but he does have to think about that in the earlier x-wing books yeah so i agree because I, I didn't really follow that because he said he's never had to make uh but he's gone into missions where he's expected people to die yeah and uh, he even yeah. talks about that where like he uh like the fact that he remembered lear and slee's names meant that they must have grown on him uh, mm-hmm. that he thought of them as their names instead of just like rogue yeah. X and Y. Yeah. Um, funny I didn't remember Aretta Bell gets trashed at the Battle of Arinda. Yeah, she she gets absolutely <laughs> demolished. So, <laughs> um, It's kind of funny too because in this book they describe, speaking of the Battle of Arinda, they describe the Lusankia as being basically finished but it doesn't really enter service for quite a while unless... It's possible that maybe it was around during Dark Empire and then it got damaged again. So um, when they were refitting Lusankia, it was initially more as a research station, which you kind of get in this book where yeah. it was just kind of the tip of the ship. But yeah. that gets kind of expanded to being more of the ship's purpose. So it was kind of armed. Mm. It was at least operational. Yeah. Uh, and then Shadowhand is what makes the New Republic start having the debate of like, okay, do we actually need one of these bigger ships? Yeah. And they fully kit out Lusankia after that point, And that's when... Uh, right. they start really going ahead with the Viscount, which is why you can research the Viscount at tech level three in Thrawn's Revenge. But... <laughs> Epic. Is Krennel... Uh, Kren- yeah, is, is Krennel Krennic. in Thrawn's Revenge? Krennic, yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, Krennel is, Krennel is in Thrawn's Revenge. There's a whole... We've actually got a whole campaign set up around Isar's Revenge called okay. Isar's Revenge. Cool. Where the is Empire takes... The, uh, I, I believe so. I've never played it. I'm sure it's great. There's so many of them. So many factions. Yeah, there, are, there are a lot of them. <laughs> but Jorah does a lot of like uh, story set up for those smaller GCs. So it's there's a few events in there. There's a bunch of characters in there. And I think you can actually re-steal Lusankia in the oh, GC. Oh, that's cool. But, uh, but yeah. Why do you think they chose Pulsar Station as a name? Because <laughs> it pulses. It had the gravity well generators. Those pulse. It pulses the beam at stuff, and they blow up. Kind of dumb not to put gravity oil generators in the Death Star, now that I think about it. Hmm. I mean, like, you might as well. Yeah, but yeah, you start making budget cuts. The planet's not going to jump away, and it's going after the planet. <laughs> the so not gonna... Yeah, true. You can just deploy an immobilizer <laughs> with it, because maybe it's there was more than six in the galaxy at that point. Yeah. Um, speaking of immobilizers, what did you think of the final battle? Uh, I didn't like the final battle as much as I liked the other two, honestly. Mm-hmm. it A lot of it just kind of went in one eye and out the other, I guess. But mm-hmm. the I really liked the Lenad battle. I really liked the the uh, la, 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 Corvus Minor battle. I always want to see Corson for that. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, the... <laughs> I think Thrawn's or Akbar's Thrawn Pincer is a lot less interesting because the book doesn't do a good job of setting up why Thrawn Pincers don't really work. Um, mm. Cause like that's, cause that's what the Thrawn trilogy does. It's, it spends a lot of time talking about how difficult hyperspace jumps is and it kind of registers people's surprise when he uses them. Mm-hmm. And there is a one throwaway line basically about how an accurate jump like this is almost impossible. Um, but yeah, there's not like the full setup and then there's not really the payoff. So it's just kind of a thing that Akbar does. I do think it's kind of still a fun idea. Um, mm-hmm. 
but yeah, like they were still trying to take advantage of the whole. Well, did they actually just send the wrong ships at the wrong time? Yeah. But to the extent that that worked, it was only because some of the setup was confusing, mm-hmm. and like you kind of just knew that more stuff was coming. So I, yeah, it was, it was to me like I, I still enjoyed it, but it was kind of the weakest of the three to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was kind of more getting ahead to the parts that were dealing with like actually killing Isard and seeing mm-hmm. the really terrible attempt at actually boarding the Lusankia, which yeah, probably like never people. would have worked. <laughs> and like, yeah, good on Iella and Mirax and Booster for figuring it out and getting there. Mm-hmm. But it, it kind of seems like they would have had that handled even without them. Mm-hmm. Where wasn't it just like they told one vortex and I was like, okay, I'm going to shut that shit down. <laughs> and yeah. he like, like locked the door. Didn't, you didn't need to be dramatic about it. Like <laughs> I could have just <laughs> vented them all. <laughs> I gotta say though, Bill Bringy would not be my choice um, as my SSD fixer upper shipyard after how much heat it's gotten uh, lately. But yeah, yeah, like they just took control of it. If they want to set up anything that's even like remotely secret, because Wedge is surprised that they're fixing Lusankia, mm-hmm. but yeah. they just—I I don't know. Yeah, because he finds it earlier at like a staff meeting. <laughs> yeah, there because uh, one of the admirals is like, "Hey, what if we just drop an SSD on him?" Mm-hmm. And they're like, eh, it doesn't work yet. But what's yeah. like, you're fixing it? <laughs> He's like, that's actually kind of epic. <laughs> Can I fly that? <laughs> I want to stab something with it. Get your chance. Don't worry. Mm. That'll be a fun um, one to get to. That will be, yeah. I feel like we've covered a lot. Um, this book, like, it's a pretty basic plot, pretty easy to understand. Um I will say, like, one thing about having two Isards as well is that Krennel doesn't really get the time he needs to develop as a good villain. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel a whole lot when he died at the end. Yeah, like, every scene he has, it starts with him, and then Isard just kind of comes in and takes it over. And there's some stuff about how, like, oh, he's learning how to play politics, but he does, like, mm-hmm. one semi-okay thing, and that was it. Because there was even the, the thing where uh, Rogue Squadron is getting deployed by Isard, to join Krennel's force, and that's how they're kind of uh, pointlessly, but they're uh, in God. How did I not know the word? They're they're joining Krennel's forces, mm-hmm. and he does kind of line them line up and meet them. And uh, Wedge has to find ways to justify the non-human. So. You've got the Quarren who's like, well, the New Republic's not going to let me kill him on Calamari. Yeah. And so Krenno says, I'm impressed by most of you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it, it kind of just felt like the Tavira thing being redone, but kind of yeah. with less development around Krenno than Tavira. And that's kind of what I was saying with the uh, the greatest hits thing, where mm-hmm. uh, there were just kind of a lot of beats that were repurposed from some of the other X-Wing books or I-Jedi, and yeah. I feel like they could have been put to maybe some better use. I will say, too, um, this book is a lot less character-focused than the other X-Wing novels I noticed, mm-hmm. um, especially, like, the, the squad relationships. We get a lot of that in almost every book. Yeah. Um, there's usually, like, at least one scene where the squad comes together, whatever else. This one is really more about plot... Um, 
which I, I definitely kind of missed because I like the squad interaction. Usually there's like a new character who like, you know, the, the team finds they have to trust him or whatever else. Everyone has a moment to shine. They get their skills uh, used in some way, but not really. Um, yeah. In this case. Because we get the bar scene with uh, with Slee, Wedge, and or not Wedge, Slee, Corin, and Gavin, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, which is, I thought, I enjoyed that one. Uh, mm-hmm. But then we get the scene with Gavin and Asir, and that kind of goes nowhere because Asir gives up their relationship for uh, reforming wealth and society, but we never hear about that again. Yeah, exactly. And then the other stuff is just like Corin being a horrible friend to Gavin. So... <laughs> Yeah. Corin having to deal with his grief again, basically. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh do you wanna get on to questions then? Yeah, I think so. Um let's just check. First off, we have one from Joel Davis who says, Do you think in hindsight it would be interesting to make I started Revenge a more direct prequel to Dark Empire? Um I remember the first time I read it, I thought we'd get more build up to those events. But was sadly disappointed we didn't. Of course, now I know about the books versus comics. But I, I'm blah 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 blah. Great question, actually. Um, I kind of just wish we had gotten some sort of tie into Dark Empire, uh, like yeah. like long after it had come out. Um, like rather than in the source book, because we do get stuff in like the Essential Guide to Warfare, or whatever else. But I do wish there had been a novel set during that time. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about what that could kind of look like in this book, and maybe some some conversations between Isard and Krennel that kind of refers to the fact that they're being kind of called to the core by mm-hmm. by Palpatine or someone claiming to be Palpatine, maybe an acknowledgement of that. But mm-hmm. part of what makes the Dark Empire campaign so uh, effective is that it was just out of nowhere mm-hmm. as far as the New Republic was concerned, except for the disappearance of some forces. Yeah. So I feel like it would be very difficult to pull that off while still keeping a self-contained plot. Uh, so you need either a couple books or a much longer book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I like the idea, but I don't know that Isar's Revenge would have been the best place to do it unless it is just kind of a, a couple references to it. Yeah. This book does do a good job of um, not reconciling Dark Empire and Throne in the Throne trilogy, but it does do a good job of kind of continuing to bridge the gap between like the Warlord era and the Throne era because it mm-hmm. talks about like, how warlords were giving money to Thrawn, like they were sending resources his way. Um, I just thought that was interesting. Ooh, uh, before we go on to other questions, I do have one other note that kind of relates to a discussion we were having a few a few episodes ago uh, where we were talking about legitimacy and what legitimizes the New Republic versus like... So you were kind of coming at it from... Uh, law framework where i was talking Mm -hmm. about it as like the more just how does the new republic see themselves and what is their claim to legitimacy and that kind of came up in this book a little bit yeah where there was a quote where uh i think jansen even just lays out i think it's jansen maybe wedge lays out my argument explicitly of like the um the new republic is just directly claiming uh anything that the um, belong to the empire as them because they see themselves as the legitimate empire, like mm. the legitimate successor to the Republic and the empire was this aberration that was illegal. And right. uh, so I'm just going pl- to, to yeah. claim that as a victory for that discussion for myself based on that. For you, what I was reading the other day that kind of talked about that and basically the rebel Alliance considered calling themselves like the Republican exile um basically they've been ousted by like an illegitimate government 
Um, so yeah, I think that that does make sense. And there is kind of a lot of that in the book, like how, because there's still, the galaxy's coming more under the sway of the New Republic than it was in the earlier X-Wing series, but they are mm -hmm. still dealing with like, how do they, you know, openly attack, because they can openly attack the Empire, but if they fail, it's going to look terrible. If they're too aggressive, they're just going to look Imperial, mm -hmm. um, which they do later on. Um, well, mostly when they're the GA, so it's kind of an interesting discussion there. Yeah. Uh, so we had one other question from Calvin. Uh, I have two questions. What is one thing that Star Wars Legends does better than Star Wars Canon? What is one thing that Star Wars Canon does better than Star Wars Legends? Thank you. Do you want to start with this? Legends definitely does the post-Endor stuff better. I think we... Well, I... Yeah, they definitely do the post-Endor stuff better. Um, Canon probably does... Hmm, I'm trying to think of one thing I really like more in canon. Canon really hasn't covered that much in the way of new ground. I'd say I like the Rogue One story better than the associated stuff from Legends. Mm, the seven different ways that Kyle yeah. Katarn stole the Death Star plans. Yeah. Um, hmm. It's like, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? I think that uh there's enough varying quality in both legends and canon that it's hard to yeah. say like there's one thing like because it it's it's always such a broad array uh but i think that canon came in from the start with an idea that they wanted to have it as one consistent storyline mm -hmm. whereas legends you have like the marvel comics earlier on and then you had uh the way that the post endor st stuff handled the clone wars then you had the prequels yeah. come in and change the clone wars with this, obviously, it's not 100% consistent. Nothing can be or is intended to be or will be. Or but, should be. <laughs> yeah. But there's at least, like, uh, there's less variance in that way. And I think canon yeah. has been a bit more consistent with that. Uh, but then that also means the flip side of that is that Legends did have a couple more of these other things that, well, they may be weirder or wackier. They were also just fun stories to have, like the Nagai and mm -hmm. Toph War, the way the Marvel comics did a lot of that. It's not always to my personal taste, but a lot of people really enjoy that. And uh, it's the kind of story that it's harder to get now. Even with later legends, it's the kind of thing that we didn't really get because they were moving more towards having that one, like Star Wars expanded universe is one storyline. Uh, whereas before it was just, if you own the license, you do something and it would fit in in some way maybe. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, like when it, when it comes to individual stories, things. like I love Rogue One. I really like the way that Timothy Zahn's developed as an author. So I kind of prefer uh, the way the new Thrawn trilogies are written even if I think like I agree with some of your criticisms there that they ultimately don't feel like they're going anywhere because they mm. are kind of like put in as these supporting things for the like there's a definite way that canon sees what it's sees what it's putting out as like uh the books are there to support the movies the comics are there to support the books and movies so that hierarchy exists in a way that didn't exist before and i'm hoping mm -hmm. that the with the sequel trilogy done there isn't the same need that like oh well these books are just going to have to go up to what happens in the sequel trilogy you can't really introduce yeah, exactly. too much new and i think that's where to me their relative strengths and weaknesses lie which doesn't yeah. really say much about any individual story there can be some that are great or bad in both but as far as like the overall ideas of the paths the universe takes. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll have to see, like for me, the one thing that we never got a really, I guess Clone Wars, but we never got anything like the Mandalorian in Legends either. Mm -hmm. um, like a true, really high budget live action show. I mean, Clone Wars was really high budget as well, but 
it, I, I don't think it was ever as mainstream as The Mandalorian has been. No, like um, The Mandalorian can kind of stand on its own in a way that The Clone Wars can't. Because like, exactly. if you've never seen Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith, then it's just some people fighting some droids and whatever. But The Mandalorian, yeah. the story, because it is so self-contained, which is something I'm worried about for season two because there's so many cameos that have been kind of announced Rumored, yeah. that, uh, that I'm kind of worried about yeah. that, but... I'll be okay if they keep them to one or two episodes, which that's kind of my um, prediction. I think that they're going to try to keep all of these cameos to like one sort of like crossover episode um, where like maybe they'll run into some of the characters and then because there's all those rumors of a Revels sequel, which realistically yeah. could be taking place in the exact same timeline. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of been my thoughts on that. Yeah. Uh, we also got an email from... Uh, from Callum, just laying out some of his thoughts on I Sarge Revenge. So there are a few of these things we actually talked about already, but thank you for your thoughts on that, Callum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was talking about SR Asir's yeah, plans we, being kind of... Yeah, she missed a huge opportunity. Um, but there's another question in chat right now from Lego Star Wars fan saying, or not he just question, emailed us as well saying in Dark Tide Admiral Trace Grafay basically tells Gavin that the reason he is not a jerk is because of the teacher at the Bothan Marshall Academy is it possible that this could be a seer I think that would be that's a, a fun bit of possible headcanon yeah. but uh, no, I don't know that it's too soon it's like 14 years yeah yeah I guess but she would have had to go through the Marshall Academy again unless she well I guess maybe that's she 14 years that's enough, identity but... with a yeah, it's possible. That that's yeah. a nice bit of headcanon. Uh so like I'd that. be willing I'd be willing to co sign that. Yeah. But uh and was Dark Tide Michael Stackpole's books? Uh, I, think I think Dark so. Tide either it was either that or Lucino's. No, Lucino is Agent of Chaos. So yeah, I, think I think Dark Tide, Dark Tide is, is uh is Michael Stackpole. I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet. So out. if it's if it's Michael Stackpole's, then absolutely. Oh yeah, he did respond to a tweet thread that we were both in, so we can yeah we have that in now. Uh, because oh, that's that's also a 2012 thriller adventure movie. Yeah, yeah, it, it was him. I checked. Okay, cool. So yeah, i I'd be I'd be willing to to say that probably was intended to be a seer yeah but uh but yeah so uh should we do a ranking i guess uh should well let's show our rankings as they are right now and maybe just talk about what we're going to be doing with that right i'm cool with that because there was a suggestion a few weeks ago in an email and i i can't find it right now but i think it was torin yes i think uh it was torin that emailed us with a suggestion that instead of doing the direct rankings, because uh, this is going to get cumbersome and already kind of is, uh, mm-hmm. that we should do a kind of tier list for it. So I think that's what we're actually going to do. Ooh, I like that, yeah. Uh, so we are actually going to be, in a couple weeks, I'm going to be moving, so I won't have time to do much prep for uh, for one of the podcast episodes. So rather than skip that episode, what we are planning to do is have it so that week we are actually just going to kind of re-review our our books our book rankings and turn them into a tier list so it'll be kind of a a fluffier just lower prep episode but uh we'll go back through we'll sort these into tiers and then that'll kind of be what we go with uh in the future so we'll keep you guys posted on when that's going to be 
works for me. But yeah. Um. So also. Yeah. So next week we're doing Clone Wars Volume Two, and then after that we said Alphabet Squadron, right? Yes, I think that is our plan. We're going to be doing because that I guess that kind of fits in with having just done an X-wing book, do Alphabet Squadron, which is kind of in the same vein for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that'll be our first canon book, actually. Which, uh, ooh, actually, yeah. when is when's the pushed up release date for Thrawn? Or for um, Chaos Rising? Uh, let's see. Because didn't it get moved from October to September? Or was it moved up yeah, to October? Yeah, it wasn't even moved to... Uh, expected on September 1st. So, yeah. Coming maybe... Soon. So we might end up doing that, maybe? For as soon as we can after it releases yeah well september 1st is a or yeah september 1st is a saturday yeah and i might be moving the next week so we'll see yeah we'll figure it out but uh that's still a couple months away anyway a couple that's uh that's one month away what month is it right now it is let's not talk about that (laughs) why did i just conflate august and september anyways never mind anyway yeah um wait, where are you gonna rank this one my friend uh hmm. it it's kind of tough for me to put it above other x-wing books yeah because a lot of what i enjoyed about it was kind of stuff that was just uh very like already present in some of those books Mm-hmm. So as much as I did enjoy it, it's it's hard for me to justify that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, other than Crytos Trap, uh, I think I'm going to put it just below Wedge's Gamble and above Jedi Search. Okay. So for me, that puts it in kind of the uh, my bottom third. But mm-hmm. there still hasn't been a book that I actively didn't enjoy so yeah. <laughs> or actively dislike so i think other everything than... right now would be at least a like a c plus tier yeah except, except for champions of the force which i i i probably that's as close as i've been to like disliking a book so far because mm-hmm. i have felt it was just it, it didn't really do much yeah no, i feel you um for me i think i will put it above dark apprentice uh, and under Han Solo Adventures. All right. So we have them actually in the yeah. similar place in our rankings, even though our lower ends do kind of diverge a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do think, yours. as LEGO Star Wars fan says, we are rapidly approaching the uh, Callista trilogy. Oh, God. And I see Children of the Jedi right near the bottom. Yeah. Like, I can Even tell you a lot of NJO is going to be at the top of my list, and I don't think it will be anywhere near that for you, so that'll probably be where things really... Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Crucible is going to be number one for me. Hmm. <laughs> Love you, Troy. <laughs> uh, Dark Nest is going to be much higher. For me. I think, like, after we get to NJO and beyond... That's where there's going to be a lot of more differences in opinion. I don't for know because I really like Legacy of the Force, and you do too, don't you? Yeah, I really like Legacy of the Force. You see, I, I shit on Darkness a lot. The last time I I haven't read it for ages. Last time I read it, I just listened to the uh, audio versions. Mm. So, 
the full um, non-truncated uh, uh, versions might be a little more enjoyable. Yeah, like I, I mean, for me, it's just such a big part of Jason Solo's story, and that is my favorite mm-hmm. character arc. Are because it kind of just shows this detente that is mostly left out of the uh, the audio version. Yeah, like the the kind of force philosophy discussions that uh, Luke has the the effect that Jason has on the Jedi Order with the stuff he learned from Vergier is mm-hmm. I think interesting and important to kind of what happens to him after. Like I I I still think that Jason's story is basically how I would have expected to see Anakin's story be done or what mm. I think would have made a better story for Anakin, which is harder to do in two movies versus uh versus 19 books or mm-hmm. really 33 books, but but yeah. Yeah, I mean these books are really heavily abridged, like they're 5 hours long. So a little I will say the abridgement for this book actually is really good even though it's only three and a half hours long, it works really well for mm-hmm. some reason. Um but like Lobaka's not even in the uh not even in the darkness abridgment and like that's obviously a pretty big part. Um and I don't think Jason is really in it either. He's in it at the very beginning. Doesn't he have like a um doesn't he do some uh flow walking in that book? Like the yeah, very the, beginning. He, there's not a he, like he doesn't play anywhere near as big a role as like Jaina, but mm-hmm. uh it's just like the extent to which Luke kind of takes Jason's force philosophy into the Jedi philosophy and basically uses force lightning because it's not actually the, it's it's not the powers that's evil. It's how we use them or intend to use them. And that yeah. kind of, I thought that was just my favorite part of that series. But anyways, we've got, uh, we've got burial cart in half an hour. Yeah, guys, so we will be streaming some Burial Karts um, on X2, and we will be featuring Star Wars creator Bombastic. I'm not sure how much he's going to drink because it is going to be noon Australian time, <laughs> but it'll be fun. All right, yeah, so that is youtube.com slash E-C-K-S-T-O-O. Uh, there's more Star Wars and other game content goodness from both of us over there, but that's going to do it for for us tonight anything else you wanted to say nope good night everybody it it's fucking force lightning it's not fuck that electric judgment bullshit <laughs>